0: Why do we make such a big deal about Christmas? I mean, I know we could give a a lot of reasons and a lot of answers, but let's just wrestle with it for a second. Why do we, in particular as a church, why why do we make such a big deal about Christmas? Why do we buy presents? Why do we plan parties? Uh, Why do we put pine trees in our houses? Why do we spend four weeks as a church just getting ready in this season called Advent for the giant party on December 25th? Why do we do that? The reason is because we believe that at Christmas, and, and maybe, maybe this is new for you, I'm not going to assume that you know this, if you're here as a guest, perhaps. The reason is because we believe that not just Jesus was born, but that Jesus was someone and is someone profoundly important. More than a great teacher, more than a miracle worker, uh, more than a, a religious leader, we believe that, that in the birth of Jesus Christ, the one who made the world entered the world, That God himself took on flesh and blood and he joined us. And that the implications of the maker of the world becoming part of his creation are so life-changing and profound that we have to write songs and sing with joy and buy presents and put pine trees in our house and get ready as a church every single year to celebrate it. Among the many things that the incarnation of God, and that's really what Christmas is. Incarnation is a fancy word for the divine taking on flesh and joining us. One of the many implications of the incarnation is what it reveals to us about the heart of God for us. What it tells us about how God loves us, how much he loves us. And, and, And you could boil it down like this. It tells us that God loves us so much that he would make a home With those who are really hard to love. And that's a great sign of love when you're willing to saddle up next to those who are really hard to love because you love them so much. And that's really what Christmas comes down to. God makes Himself at home with those who are hard to love. And you can look at it on three levels He makes Himself at home with His own people, the chosen people, the Old Testament people, the Israelites. He makes himself at home with all of humanity, humanity that had turned its back on him and was rebelling against him. And he makes his home ultimately with his adversaries. This whole of creation that had rejected him and ultimately would put him on a cross and kill him. God made himself at home with his people, with a weak and wounded and weary and needy world and with his adversaries, with his own enemies. That's how much he loves us. And the question I want us to wrestle with throughout Advent is this. What might it look like for us to love in the same fashion? What might it look like for us, the recipients of this love of God that makes itself home with us to bring life and salvation and eternity to us? What might it look like with us to to be profoundly present, to make ourselves at home with those same groups of people around us? What would it look like for you and me to make our holidays this year about being profoundly present with the people who've wronged us, with our enemies, so to speak? What would that require of you? What would it look like for you and I to be profoundly present, to make ourselves at home with the weak and the wounded and the needy around us? What would it look like for you... To spend your holidays trying to make yourself at home, like, profoundly present with the people that God has attached you to through flesh and blood, with your relatives, where you don't just endure them, but you are home with them. That's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to start with the family, with the relatives. Uh, Christmas and family go together like, like Santa Claus and elves, like Egg and nog, whatever that is, and, and stockings and stuffers. Whether that's a good thing for you, I love my family, or a bad thing for you, I have a family. <laughs> Christmas and family, they, they, they just go together, and for good reason. I mean, think about how God made himself known. We don't just believe that God showed up here in a puff of smoke like some kind of Vegas magic act. We don't believe that he descended from some stairway out of heaven like a divine alien. What we believe about God is that God came into this world like you came into this world. He chose to attach himself to the whole human experience, which means he had to enter this world in a family. The creator of the universe entered this world at the the ground floor of the human experience. He entered this world as a series of cells rapidly dividing in the womb of an unwed mother. And then the God of the universe was received into the arms of that woman who shared his DNA. He was born to a particular ancestral line. He was part of a particular people, the Israelites. A particular people who who didn't really know what to do with him, who didn't know how to receive him or understand him. I mean, John gets at this in his gospel. Chapter 1, we heard it earlier. Verse 11, I'd like to zoom in on. It says that he, Jesus, came to his own. The context here is the Israelite people. Jesus came to the world through a particular people. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. One of the reasons Christmas is all tied up with family is because when God chose to enter into his own creation, he entered it through a family just like you. He entered it through a flesh and blood and, dare I say, dysfunctional family just like you that didn't get him, didn't understand him, didn't know how to receive him. So if you're ever wondering why, when it comes to Christmas Eve at Grandma's, it's beautiful but also tiring and weird. Listening to your Uncle Roy rage on about politics. Or the passive-aggressive comments about your parenting from your mother-in-law. Or your perpetually unemployed nephew who wants to give you stock advice. Like... It's not unique to you. It's something we all share. You're not being punished. You're in good company. God had a messed up family too. I got a verse for you. John chapter one, verse 11. He was born to a people and his people didn't get him and you don't get yours either. And yet he still came to them. He he went to them. He didn't abandon them or leave them. He gave it all for them. So there's something to learn from Jesus in his love for his own people as we, the recipients of the mercy of Jesus, try at Christmas to love our own people, to be profoundly present with them. The first thing we learn is this, that Jesus came to his own people with a very specific purpose, Look at the two verses prior to verse 11, verses 9 and 10. The true light Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So Jesus came into the world to be a light. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to the world to be a light to the world, to show the world, starting with his own people, who he was. John says that Jesus came to his people to shine a light and to show them their need for forgiveness to show them who God was and the grace that He was gonna give through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and to show all of humanity our need for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He came with that purpose. He came for them. That's the key. He came for them. He didn't come to set up shop and get applause. He came for them. He didn't show up for the presence. He got a cross. He came for them he didn't show up for the eggnog and the party and to get sloshed with uncle joey he came for them that's why he came you get this in isaiah chapter 9 written 700 years before jesus shows up this is a prediction of the arrival of jesus for the weakness of a child he says for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his baby shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty baby god everlasting father prince of peace the key is that first phrase, for to whom a child is born. To us. To whom a son is given? To us. Jesus came for them. Very often in our celebration of the holidays, it, is, it looks like it's for everybody else, but really banking on it being about us, aren't we? If we get really honest down to the, the primal instincts of our holiday actions... What we have to admit to ourselves is for those of us who have kids, that very often the reason we want to give our kids a great Christmas is because we want to be the kind of parent who can give their kid a great Christmas. It's about blessing them, but it's also about propping up our own ego or it's about dealing with some of our own baggage from the past, you know, maybe we grew up and we didn't have a great Christmas, mom or dad wasn't around, there were not a lot of presents under the tree, and so we're trying to make up for something we didn't have by making sure that they have something that we wanted all along. So we're using them to deal with our own baggage and our own stuff. It's about us. It's about them, but it's also really about us. Or maybe the reason you don't go to your aunt or uncle's house or your grandma's house at Christmas or you don't have other people over to your place at Christmas is because maybe they're hostile to you or they just annoy you or it's difficult for you or they remind you about things that you don't really like about yourself. And so you just put up this barrier and you don't go or you show up and there's a lot of distance between you and them because you say to yourself, what is in this for me to be present with them? What if, however, what if learning from what we've received from Jesus Christ, what if we made it our task to enter into our holidays as we try to be profoundly present with our relatives, with the people that we love, whether we like it or not, as we try to be profoundly present with them, what if we ask a different question? Rather than, man, what is in this for me? What if we started to say this, I am in this moment for them? I'm in this moment for them, for their joy, for their hope, for their happiness, for their peace. I'm in this moment for them to receive something in the manner in which they need to receive it in the way that speaks to them, encourages them, loves them, and brings peace and joy to them. What if you said that? That's risky, but that's the incarnation. The second thing we see with Jesus is that in order to be profoundly present with his people, he got uncomfortably close. Like, like we said, he took on flesh and blood and bone. He didn't have to do that, and yet he did. And, and it's hard for us to really wrap our minds around how scandalous of an notion this was in Jesus' day. But God was considered so holy, and certainly God is this holy, but, but God was considered so holy that to even speak his name with your lips was considered blasphemous. Like your human lips were too unclean to speak the name of God, Yahweh, as it's written in Hebrew in what we call the Old Testament. And so really devout believers would refuse to say the word Yahweh, so much so that when it was written in a scroll or etched into stone, they would write the consonants for Yahweh, because consonants was really all that they had in Hebrew language at that particular time, but they'd write the vowels for another word, a Greek word, Adonai, which means Lord, which was considered more acceptable to say So that if you were really devout, you wouldn't dare say the name of God. Your lips are too unholy to ever utter the word Yahweh. Instead, you would say, Lord, which was more acceptable. So imagine when full-on God in flesh, baby Jesus grows up to be full-on God in flesh, man, Jesus, and he's working miracles, and he's gathering a crowd, and he's like, hey, guess what? I and the Father are one. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the great I am. I was before even Moses He's saying, I am the divine one. I am Yahweh. Shocking, blasphemous. It's ultimately what gave the impetus to his own people to kill him. Because the human and the divine would never mix like that. And yet Jesus said, in order to love you well, I got to get that close. And, and, And there is a very basic principle embedded in this profound truth, It is hard to love people well from far away. Love requires intimacy, which requires proximity. Like you can do a long distance relationship, but you can't do it forever. It's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. Love requires intimacy, which requires proximity. You've got to be willing to get close. And if Jesus is going to love his own people and love the world with the greatest love that's ever been shown, he's got to get closer than close. He doesn't have to just show up. He's got to put on flesh and blood and bone and get blasphemously close to us. So what does that mean for you and me as we try to love and be present with our families? I think we've got to be willing to get uncomfortably close. As a people, I think we are struggling more and more with intimacy in our world. I can't prove it. It's just my own observation. And by intimacy, I mean the proximity that is required, the closeness between you and me that is required for us to really connect and be fully present with each other. And by proximity, I mean sustained conversation. I mean unbroken eye contact. I mean unhurried time together where we're just together I mean conversations at the dinner table where there's no technology on the table, no television in the background. We are just with each other. We struggle with that. I was reading er earlier that um, uh, among young people 25 years and younger, there is increased anxiety over simple tasks that require immediate intimacy. For example, like answering a phone and you don't know who's on the other end. That such a task among younger and younger people strikes a lot of anxiety in younger people because they've grown up in a world where you didn't have to answer the phone because you could tell who it was. You could send it right to voicemail and you could monitor the call afterward if you ever wanted to return the call. Or you spend a lot of time text messaging and in text messaging you can curate the right response you can wait and pretend you didn't get it you can read it over and over and over again and you can write just the right thing and press send if you send anything at all but the idea of picking up a phone and having to say hello and not knowing who's on the other end or what they're going to ask of you and what they're going to put in front of you causes anxiety because of the immediate intimacy and proximity we struggle with this And yet, it's hard to love people from far away. And so, if you are called to be profoundly present with your friends and your family in particular this holiday season, what does it mean for you, like Jesus to us, to get uncomfortably close to them? What if, rather than keeping a safe distance, you said this I will go to great lengths to connect? I will go to great lengths to connect at great cost to myself. So, so if you're a dad, like, like, like some dads these days who are accused of being distant and disconnected because of technology and work and other things, uh, what if you got down on the floor with your boy after you gave him that new toy and you played with him down on the floor? This sounds so simple, but it is so increasingly rare. You got down on the floor and you played with your boy with that new toy and you heard his laughter on the ground floor, Literally. What if when you go to Christmas at your cousin's house, you left your phone in your car when you pulled into the driveway so you couldn't disconnect and put up a buffer between you and Aunt Rita at the dining room table by opening Instagram? What if during your time off over the holiday season, you went for a walk every night with your wife and you played the game, ask me anything, and you had to answer? What if when your son comes back from college You take him out to lunch, just the two of you, not a thing you're used to, and you have the conversation that you've been putting off and he knows needs to happen, and you ask the questions, you say the things that you've been afraid to say because you know you're gonna start crying. What if you just did that and you got uncomfortably close? It's hard to love people well from far away. I'll do whatever it takes to connect. Now, it's at this point in the sermon, as I land the plane, that I could take it in one of two directions. The first direction is that I could lie to you, which I won't do. It's a bad look for a pastor to lie as he ends his sermon. I could lie to you or I could be brutally honest with you. And I'm going to choose to be brutally honest with you. But the lie would sound like this. The lie would sound like this. If you choose to be profoundly present with the people in your family this holiday season, as Jesus Christ has been profoundly present with his people and his family, if you choose to say, I'm in this moment for them, and if you choose to say, I'm going to get uncomfortably close, I'm going to go to great lengths to connect at cost to myself, the lie would sound like this. You will have the most meaningful, beautiful, Christ-focused Christmas you've ever had. Cue single tear down the side of my face. (laughs) I can't guarantee that for you. That would be a lie. Uh, Because I have to look at the life of Jesus and see what happened to him when he did that. Jesus went all out in loving his own people and what did they do? They killed him. (laughs) They killed him. And yet Jesus thought it was still worth it to do this because Jesus knew everything, the fullness of God in flesh. He knew what was going to happen to him. He knew they would reject him but he, he embraced the reality of rejection and he said it's still worth it. And I think that's the last piece for you and me, that that we should embrace the reality, the possibility of rejection, that this may not work out as beautifully, as comfortably as you want it to. It may not be well-received. It it may not be reciprocated, but but it is still worth it. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should give yourself over to your family to the point where you are hurt or you are abused, or they are able to just vomit all of their dysfunction on you with no restraint. I am not saying that at all all Jesus could give himself over to his family and his family could kill him because he knew that in his death he would accomplish the salvation of the world if you give yourself over to a dysfunctional family to the point of your own death you just die don't do that have some boundaries those things are okay but do know that rejection may come but it will still be worth it why because the people around you they deserve your love whether they know it or not and they need your love, whether they appreciate it or not. And you, you have received such love in Jesus Christ. Why do we make such a big deal about Christmas? Why do we go to Memorial City Mall and listen to Mariah Carey sing that song over and over and over again? Why do we buy ugly Christmas sweaters and wear them on purpose? Why do we put pine trees in our house? It's crazy. It's because we believe that at Christmas, God made his home with those who are hard to love out of his great love for us. And as we receive that, we're also called to mimic that and mirror that. And what would that look like for you? Here's what it would sound like. It would sound like you from this moment forward saying this, I am in this moment for them. I will go to great lengths to connect. And even if they reject me, it will still have been worth it because they need it. They deserve it. And I myself have received it. Let's pray.